When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time again, and you know it is because you hit play on your iPod. This is Larry Charles. We are bringing you the Game Dev Unchained podcast, and you know I never do this alone. Introducing, for the 26th time, my host, Mr. Brandon Pham. Hey, welcome to this week's episode, everyone, and this is, of course, Brandon Pham. Uh, we have a very special guest, Colin Fogel. How are you doing, Colin? I'm doing great. Uh, hey there. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. We've uh, we've been looking forward to doing this episode for a very long time. We had to save it till the audience was like a good size before we dropped this one. Brandon, do you want to tell the good people why we've invited Colin here with us today? Yes, of course. So uh, as you may hear through the grapevines, once in a while, a game developer has a huge payday, which is bigger than the regular check, and it's one of those things that are attached to big projects. So it's not something very common, and I feel like it's one of those things like a you know, lost in the woods nowadays, but uh, Colin's here to speak some part of it <laughs> about his experience. But uh, before we go into that, why don't you give us a little background, Colin, about uh, your resume and everything? Um, background. Uh, let's start with college. There we go. All right. Uh, basically, um, you know, I grew up a total comic book fan. Definitely loved uh, buying Marvel comics, everything. Uh, definitely wanted to be a comic artist and actually go to the Joe Cooper School of Art and Design. Yeah, uh, is that in New Jersey, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And I remember my parents saying, no, that's a little too expensive, a little too far. So um, anyway, we had a uh, very cool computer animation uh, college from Phoenix come down to my art class and... I mean, next thing you know, I was uh, doing a year and a half of computer animation. Nice. And, yeah, it was funny because that was actually the first time ever I used a computer, believe it or not. I mean, hey. I had to learn from the beginning, you know, how to save files, how everything, <laughs> like, turn a computer on. So they're like, uh, so add your primitive, and you're like, wait, 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 hold on a second. It says enter your password. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely already. like putting that in because I know some people, uh, you know, I think maybe they're a little scared of, you know, the future, this yeah. and that. And I like to let them know that I had no concept of how to use a computer until I went to school. It was just a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the main thing with games, you know, computer animation, anything is it's about passion having a drive to create and that'll help uh, with learning programs, anything because you definitely want to create mm -hmm. and you will use any tools necessary. And from there, yeah, that was the hard part is after I got out of college and I think every kid out there needs to know this is that it took me nine months to finally break in. Right. I mean, I meet a lot of people around here where it seems like right out of college, they got their job yeah. And for me, it, it was a hard-learned lesson to know that uh, you need to definitely keep updating your portfolio. Um, right. I mean, like, uh, you, you mentioned, was this college in, in Phoenix, right? Uh, yes. So, so was it more about the area, too? 
like uh, rich of game developing or what? Actually, no. For me, I think like maybe most students, it was just what what, uh, what was ever close. Right. <laughs> so Phoenix to me still felt like a world away, even though it was just a two hour drive. But, oh, I see. Um, but yeah, it's kind of sad because nowadays, you know, obviously, I don't know if we're going off track, but uh, you know, computer animation schools they now have like special courses for games, whatnot, how to build for games. And for me, it was just strictly here's 3D programs, here's 2D programs. Right. So I really had to learn on the job. But um, it was kind of funny because for me, I had to actually have my mom kind of help me out by talking with a headhunter finally and letting her know. That her son doesn't interview very well. So for everybody out there, <laughs> you know, when you get out of college, anything that was one of the hardest things for me too was uh, interviewing and learning how to talk with people. And even though I didn't know anything about the game industry, you have to be personable. Uh, you know, definitely show that you're willing to learn or whatnot. <laughs> so was the Hunter Hunter just giving you that introduction that helped you get to it, or was it? Well, I think my portfolio definitely got me in the door, but then my interviewing skills was just atrocious. I mean, you know, I... How I, bad was it, man? <laughs> I mean, I was 20 years old, and my mom's listening on the other line on the phone, <laughs> which, like, freaked me out even more. <laughs> But uh, that's actually really key. You know, I think some people get over it easier. I'm sure, Brandon, you seem like the type that had an easier job, you know, Tyrone. But uh, for me, it was uh, definitely, God, hard. You know, I feel like people maybe didn't take me seriously or whatnot. But, uh, I mean, I feel what you're saying right now is more common among art students getting into the industry, like just having a hard time talking to people. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why for me, when I would ever do interviews, you know, in the game industry, I would give people slack if they were nervous or anything, because I went through that. So I never held it against them. I just looked at their portfolio, if they were nice people, whatnot, you know. Yeah. Um, seemed like they wanted to grow or were curious about learning more. But yeah, basically... So my first job was 2K, you know, visual concepts. I worked on a 2K, what is it, NBA 2K1 was my first game ever. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I had that game, man. I think, wasn't that Allen Iverson on the cover? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, see? And, uh... That's an awesome first gig, by the way. <laughs> but that was also not really where I wanted to wind up, you know? I mean, right. I guess another point, I don't know if... I'm sure you guys have talked about this on other podcasts, but... You know, I can't do realistic games. You know, for yeah. me, that's just boring as hell. Like, I have to do creative, fun, yeah. fantasy, whatever. And so it was definitely a start. But uh, like I said before, you got to keep updating your portfolios, keep working on stuff, showing what you really want to work on, and then maybe search out that studio. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you a little expand a little bit on sports title? Because I don't think a lot of people know this difference with sports title versus other games. You know, is there a difference? What did you like? What you didn't like? The stability, the instability. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, it's definitely stable, or I would say it is if it's a um, a studio like Two K, where everybody mm. loves their game and they can just update the art and roster every year, and that's good enough. But for me, it just wasn't stimulating enough. I mean, right. it was very basic, very... Well, at least what I did. I, I'm sure for the characters and whatnot, there's a lot more detail, a lot more, I mean, God, getting the faces down and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for me, doing arena work and all that, it was just pretty basic. And so I would go home and do a lot of my creative work. 
And that's what you see on my portfolio is, and one thing I usually tell people is when you look at my portfolio, 90% of that isn't from game studios that I worked at. (laughs) I didn't do anything I really wanted. You have an art director that directs you and you don't get to really put you on there. So. So like, hey man, what'd you do last year, Fogel? Oh, you know, I updated the grass texture. Oh, cool. Yeah. What are you doing this year? Uh, I'm I'm uh, updating the grass texture. <laughs> Went from five twelve to ten twenty four. Well, how long how long did you work at two K? Just to give like a little background uh, of how long. I was that was working. seven years. Seven years. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like most people, too, in this industry, they become, what is it called, complacent, or would they stay where they're at? Yeah. And maybe they're scared to, you know, seek out or branch out, or maybe they don't feel they're capable of doing other work or whatnot. And yeah. for me, I felt like I just got pushed one day. I was just like, okay, it's time to make a move. Yeah. Um, I want more money, whatnot. And it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the long run, I mean, yeah. you know, we all know about Brandon in my last studio, but uh, <laughs> well, I think overall it was We, worse. as in the three of us, yes, <laughs> but mm-hmm. our audience. Yes, to our audience, I, I worked with Colin on, on Bioshock 2. Uh, Colin, did Larry work at... Uh... Uh, I applied. <laughs> but, uh, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't work there. No. Yeah, Larry and I went to college together, and we worked uh, professionally. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, uh, Larry and I uh, went to college together. We worked at uh, Call of Duty. Uh, we're currently working at Section, and before that, we worked over at uh, Spark. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Colin was my lead over at uh, Bioshock at 2K, and we worked there for a while. And that's how we know each other. Oh, nice. Yeah. So after 2K, Colin, uh, mm-hmm. where, where'd you end up going? Like that that seven years is a long time to say goodbye to everyone too. Like. Uh... Yeah, well, that was um, seven years, but then I wound up going to Secret Level in the city. Right. And during my time in Secret Level, I realized that the games they were working on were really quickly, what is it? They had a really quick turnaround. Um, uh, we weren't really making quality creative art. It was just kind of slapping it in there for movie studio, you know, movie studio video games. Mm-hmm. So that's when I actually branched out again and found the uh, 2K Marin job, which was the Bioshock 2. And I think people always get that confused because um, when I say 2K Marin, I don't think they immediately think of like the sports studio. And it's like, no, they have another separate studio there too. Right, right. And it's the same building, right? Was it the same building that you worked before? Yeah, same building. And then from there, that's where, uh, yeah, you know, things got a little rocky. You know, the game kept getting pushed. Uh, like I always tell everybody, everybody and their grandma wanted to change everything about it. And so I, I knew that uh, it was either not going to be a quality product or it was not going to sell well or they were not going to recoup the money. So I think, you know, knowing the industry and knowing what I've been through, it's you have to be smart enough know when to move on. And uh, luckily, I saw a former employee from 2K, Amber Long, who is now like a lead over at Toys for Bob. And uh, yeah, we just took it from there. I just saw her at a little, you know, the picnic at the hangars that they have. 
and went over, interviewed, just saw the product. I mean, I had no idea what Skylanders even was. I, I think they were keeping it totally hush-hush. They didn't want to know that a video game was coming out with the first toys ever. Right. And um, it was funny because uh, they were a little, I don't know if, I don't want to say ashamed, but they were a little... Embarrassed? They, they knew, yeah, they were a little embarrassed. They knew that their tool set was a little old. Right. But for me, when I saw the game and the product and the style and everything, I think, you know, people sometimes get jaded by the, uh, you know, the flash of all the uh, normal, what is it, normal max spec, everything's got to be, you know, 10 different types of metal, everything. And I loved hand paint, seeing hand painted classic um, game art. And it was right. just per- it was just perfect. I was like, this is what I love doing. I do comic book work. I love hand painting and Photoshop. You know, my portfolio is pretty much hand painted work. So, um, I don't know. I, f- I think I fell more in love with the style, and I had no idea. Like, I didn't really care about the uh, the game itself, as in, you know, oh, it has a toy to it. Oh, this might be huge. I was just like, it looks really fun, mm-hmm. yeah, and creative, and um, yeah. And God, it was the first studio where I actually got to do concept work for once and, you know, create my own levels, which was fantastic because every other studio, they, you know, some junior individual or something, you know, just to yeah. take the theme and the style and, uh, or they have concept artists that draw every little thing out or they give you photo reference. And this was kind of like, have fun with it, just make it look good and make mm-hmm. it fit our game. Yeah. I just want to highlight one thing. Like, if you have not heard of Skylanders, it's a multi-billion, like, industry now. It's not just a game. It's a toy company kind of thing. It started that whole genre, you know, of, like, collectible video game character toys. Exactly. Peripherals with an actual game device and video game software itself. I forget what the name of that subsection is, but, yeah. It's Toys for Uh, Game. I think it's called... (laughs) Toys to Life or something. Toys to Life. There you go. Toys to Life. I mean, I know that uh, Disney is now our biggest competition. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously, everybody loves Star Wars and mm-hmm. back. And even right. Lego, and Lego is trying to get in on. Lego is trying to get into it. Like, in Nintendo has their own the like amiibos. type of amiibos. Yeah. But like, what's what's really the highlight of this whole episode? It's like imagine the first Call of Duty. Imagine the first. Uncharted. Uh, Imagine the first mega franchise that became a mega franchise. And before all that happened, it was usually a small group of developers. And so to me, like Colin, like as far as I'm concerned, you're like probably the last of that group. Like (laughs) because ever since then, ever since Toys for Bob, now that we have mobile games and we have like this this indie developer scene where people would rage quit if they have those type of bonuses. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, they don't want their best developers quitting on them because they get a big fat paycheck, right? So usually now it's like very small chunks yeah. to keep you around. Wait, and is it fair to say rage quit? Like, I I imagine it would be <laughs> the most right, glamorous right, right. quitting I've ever done in my entire life. It would be fabulous. Well, right. can I actually speak on that really Yeah, quick? please, please. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to create controversy or anything, but yeah, even with that too, I mean, we did get, you know, I guess the biggest bonus I've ever gotten in the game industry, but they also put a cap on it. You yeah. know, they missed billions and they were like, we're going to make sure you still can't afford a house in the Bay Area or yeah. something like that. <laughs> they nipped just enough. 
Just yeah, enough to keep just children. enough to definitely, you know, help, you know, I mean, it was nice to get people, you know, um, something in their bank account or whatnot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I still feel, you know, sl- I mean, you know, anybody would. You still feel slighted. It's like, no, I love the studio. Why do you have to cap it? You know, I'm not going anywhere. It's, right. you know, there's like, a lot. Yes, you're not going anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you want to carry it. Yeah. And there are a lot of artists. I mean, I'm always shocked. You know, there's a lot of artists on teams that don't really care to create their own stuff. So it's kind of like this um, non-trusting kind of. Yeah, it's just it's like who is this based around? Like, you know, what individual do you do? Yeah. Well, but, uh, I mean, you don't. You certainly don't have to say the numbers, but there is public information, especially. Uh, the you Call know, of Duty team. The Call of Duty team and Call of Duty Two. If you have not heard of it, Call of Duty Two. Uh, sued Activision for uh, unpaid uh, bonuses, right? And it's completely oh. public. And, uh, you know, to give you an idea of what those bonuses were before these caps started to happen was oh, no. like a <laughs> an animator of a regular animator around uh, three to five years that worked uh, at a Call of Duty studio on Call of Duty 2, around 60 developers pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Made why don't you guys guess? I think Larry knows, but why don't you guess, Colin, if you don't know? Uh, sorry, what an animator made on Call of Duty 2? Was it Now, was it yeah. Call of Duty 2 or wasn't it for, Modern Warfare? Modern Warfare, sorry. Okay. For bonuses? For bonuses. What um, you... I really don't know what the overall money was that they made, but I'm going to say... You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. I'm going to say at least, God, must have been at least 40000 <laughs> At least... <laughs> <laughs> you oh, add a couple zeros to that. You would have been you would have been insulted if they gave you forty thousand and they gave everyone else what they actually gave. So an animator got one million dollars. Whoa! <laughs> oh my god! Well, you gotta think about it, right? It's a sixty dollar game. So they made a billion copies, right? Uh-huh. And sixty developers, and wow. so it was the first mega hit. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, and that was why they got upset that they didn't see any of that percentage. Mm-hmm. And this is all public information; you guys can look for it. Yeah. But like that was that's a fucking bonus, right? Yeah, I think the studio <laughs> yeah. heads were after the lawsuit was settled, and they had to disclose like what the payments ended up being. I think the two studio heads were getting like sixteen million a piece, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, though. They had to sue to actually get this bonus, or yeah. Well, they were pretty upset that they were held back, right? Yeah. They, yeah. There was some clauses set after, well, like, holy crap, you know, there must be we can't pay these guys that much, right? Yeah. Even though it's justified, like they made the game, so therefore, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely feel for the people that pay to like produce these games yeah. and you know, put the money up, and I know, but at the same time, yeah, if you make an insane amount. There's, I mean, yeah. No, it's, yeah. I, and I'd like to take just a minute to play like devil's advocate and come from the standpoint of the business. Now you have this contract which you're supposed to uphold because that's what yeah. contracts are for. That yeah. is based on a percentage, right? There's no like number at the time because they're like, oh, we're gonna sell like maybe five million copies, so there's no need to even say if the game makes more than X because no one had seen 10x, 15x yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so when the money came through and they do the math, they're like, yo, th- this is God. like, if we pay this out, the whole team has just hit the lottery. We and will never repeat the success because the whole team is just going to be done. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean that. I still feel like though, for where we live and whatnot. Like, oh yeah, like a million dollars isn't gonna go that far. My God, yeah, you could. <laughs> That's a month's rent. You could buy a fixer upper for that here, yeah, and seriously. not even and not even be close to the studio. <laughs> it's yeah. like I hit, I got a million dollar bonus, and I am finally out of debt. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah just to be clear, Colin's in the Bay Area, so yeah, that's why. Yeah, I. Whew. So a normal house for you, like three bedrooms in the Bay Area with a yard, we're talking like seven hundred, eight hundred thousand. I'm guessing more than that. If oh you don't want God. it, if you don't want it to be a dump. I mean, I looked recently, and between seven fifty and eight fifty, it's a total fixer upper oh. in Marin. Yeah, that's the Bay but um, that's kind of sad to hear because that means I got paid a very, very, very tiny bonus then. <laughs> Minus, but he's still good, dude. And we were a small team, and we made billions, supposedly, off the top. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, you certainly got something that you weren't expecting. It was, like, Uh, way bigger than you thought it was. And the first, it was the first of a mega multi-billionaire franchise. Oh, and one other thing I really want to add, too, is, um, and I was really shocked about this, and I wish there was something you could do about it, but... You know, the state of California right off the top takes 45%. Yeah. So when I heard heard what I was getting, I was like, yay. And then when I saw my bank account, I was like, I want to fucking write Congress. (laughs) Where were you when I was staying up till 3 a.m. working on this? Where were you (laughs) when I was? (laughs) I mean, I'm not a millionaire. So for me, I was like, this is a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. Big money here. You could at least give you know take twenty five thirty percent, but forty five percent. So that was a shock. So these people that made maybe a million, they probably got like five hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's always half, pretty much. Of that is sad, though. Me. It is sad, but I mean, in all fairness, right? If we're talking from the company side, I mean, bonuses are bonuses. It's not it's not a promise thing unless they put in the contract, right? Mm. I mean, they don't have to pay you a bonus, but like, what's great about them is it's it's a great way to motivate incentivize people to stay longer it's it's dangerous too yeah. uh if you look at both ways trying to promise them these these bonuses as back pay but uh in all fairness though like if you're one of 60 developers if you're and your game is a billion dollar game mm-hmm. i mean it it feels like you deserve some of that at yeah. least to create like a a a, a lasting a lasting relationship between the developer and, and the publisher in yeah. some way, right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it obviously took a very talented group of developers. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to keep that talent going, mm-hmm. that's how I think. Yeah. But sometimes it's kind of like, I mean, Larry. Well, well that's where I agree, too, when I said that, uh, you know, most people, when they go home, they don't work on their own projects. Like, mm-hmm. when they go to work, that's where they put it in. And that's how I feel. That's why I love being really involved because i even go home and then draw and think about it all the time and if i work at a studio where they don't want anything to do with me except modeling Mm -hmm. that's when it's kind of like okay well i'll go start my own project once you guys don't want to facilitate me you know pat me on the back give me props when i do quality work you know (laughs) and that seems to be a big issue in this industry too is uh, right seems to be people that don't really realize that with your art team you need to Especially if they're very enthusiastic, yeah. putting extra time and effort in, you got to kind of help them out and make sure that they can. Yeah, I mean the two greatest things that I admire about you, Colin, is you're obviously 
always working on your own stuff after work. You had like that strong work ethic that you seemed to develop very early on in your career, right? Was it something that you suddenly decided like I, I got to do something or else I'm going to burn out or – uh, for me, it was definitely, I always felt like I had to be a step above everybody. Like in the game industry, I always want to be in that top 10%, like in the artist range. And so I feel aside from just loving to do it and wanting to do it and creating my own product that could one day make me money, you know, going back to the bonuses, I'd rather take a bonus and have to do this route, but Hey, you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, Oh my God, where was I going with that? <laughs> well, you know, you've always had this kind of craftsman type of mindset. Like no matter what type of art you're making, you're always making art. And oh. it, it, even when you were working on Bioshock, even when you were working on like NBA games, eventually mm. it took you to somewhere, a studio that you, I mean, you pretty much took a chance on, right? You didn't know it was going to be a big thing. I mean, but what what drove you to it was because it was something you've always wanted to do and you just thought of it as like as an art project that you want to be a part of yeah. instead of trying to like chase the money or anything well okay yeah actually that's what i was going to say my bad um uh one one uh, another reason about always working on you know work is you know every time i work on a piece i feel like it gets better you right. know every piece i do it gets better it gets better and then i would update my portfolio and it seemed to make finding jobs a piece of cake right. and that's what i loved is that anytime you know i lost a job or i wanted to leave i could just send my website link and that was it i didn't have to print stuff out i didn't have to send a you know tape of a port you know like a demo reel or anything and i was just like i'm calling fogel here's my resume here's my link Mm-hmm. And I would actually get calls back, you know, callbacks and whatnot. And um, yeah, land jobs. And I love that. And then I meet other artists where, you know, their portfolio is like eight, nine years old with PS2 art, you know, and they're senior artists, this and that. And it takes them forever to find a job. And I'm like, okay, this is why I do it, you know, because right. I'm always prepared. If anything happens, uh, well, that's another good point, too, is always do quality work that might last a few years. Right. Work on a piece where even in three to four years, it still holds up. I mean, on my portfolio, I think I have a few of those where I'm like, yeah, that, that'll <laughs> last 10 years, you know. <laughs> but, um, I mean, like, is it like stuff that you see that people are just working on because of trends in reaction to trends? Or was it more like just fast, just throw it in there? just to show that I can do sci-fi. I think it was usually, I think it's like most people, if you're really into something or like for me, I love drawing, you know, knights in armor and whatnot. So I would just, uh, every couple of weeks or months, I would do a new one and a new one. And, um, I guess for me, it's just fun. You know, when I was bored growing up, uh, you know, I loved watching TV and drawing and I feel like, kind of stuck with me but at the same time it's my profession so it's a double god what is it a double home run almost mm-hmm. <laughs> where i love doing it and it's my profession so it works out both ways right and in the end it just motivates me i guess yeah right having that that you know just doing what you love to do mm-hmm. right it doesn't feel like work and just 
I see a lot of artists too, and I, I we kind of talked about this in the podcast sometimes, where uh, people usually do artwork that is hot right now just to get a like, mm-hmm. versus them doing something that they truly want to do, and you can see the difference in their artwork, just mm-hmm. the consistency. And with you, I, I see that a lot. Like you just keep working on your own stuff, and it just usually just sticks around longer than mm-hmm. than others. I mean, the second thing I want to talk about that was really awesome is that I remember that time, like, we were working together at Bioshock, and you were, I think you made a decision already, right? Mm-hmm. And and you were telling the teams, like, I'm going over there to work on this, this kid's game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know if you caught it, but everyone around the table was kind of, like, giving a glance, like, uh-huh. because we were working on AAA games at that time, and like which was a huge thing. And now here you are hopping to, to make a kid's game. And mm-hmm. even when you were over there, you were still trying to poach some of us, saying, hey, <laughs> you know, why don't you guys come over here? We're working on a kick-ass game. We're looking for people right now. And you know how many people regretted that as soon as Skylanders came mm-hmm. out? <laughs> well, it was, I was also a little shocked because I looked at it as the the team in general. Like over there, their designers actually gray-blocked out their levels. Right. You now we're at 2K. I don't know if anybody knew this about the team, but they – refused to I, I don't know if they refused to or whatnot but they it was at the end they were just drawing out their levels on paper right top down graph paper and i was like when i went to toys for bob i was like oh they require their designers to actually know basics in 3d <laughs> you know who would have guessed mm-hmm. and uh yeah so i was a little shocked about you guys because it was a uh, way simpler art style more fun you know at 2k the uh the leads were leaning more toward less creative and more toward just photo reference right i can't believe you guys didn't notice that <laughs> oh i definitely noticed Cause they were like okay what can we do well we're not creative so we'll just do the 80s and then okay we're not creative <laughs> we'll do the 90s and it was like oh my god you guys we're artists you know with portfolios and creative yeah. stuff in it maybe you should ask us what we kind of are in the mood to work on too i mean this is true i mean this can be like a, a episode in itself like at least among artists right to me i feel realism is the most boring type of art at least to me right like i i would rather do any type of theme outside of photographs mm-hmm. like if it requires a constant artist to really bang it out that is something um, definitely I like to do, which is the reason why both of us went to Bioshock, right? Bioshock mm-hmm. had a kick-ass art style. Mm-hmm. It was AAA. It was cool. And, and then it's total creative, actually. We got a lot of free on that, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I still love it, too, because even the executive producer, like, I could tell, smirked at me when I was like, yeah, I'm going to Toys for Bob. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah. Well, I was there when they saw the numbers that came out, so <laughs> that smirk <laughs> yeah, went. You went won. You won. You totally <laughs> won, dude. Well, I felt bad so, I mean, I, oh, God, I mean, even playing the you know XCOM game, I was like, man, this is not going to sell. Like, <laughs> like if you don't, if you don't even like playing it, you know, the public's not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. So, this is why we were testing it, right, in, in the studio. Yeah. The fact that you guys were like, everybody's like, this is going to be a hit. We're going to make bonus. We're gonna. I'm like, no, it's been in production for seven years. They got to make a lot of money back. <laughs> Go make some games over there. Uh, I don't know what you guys are making. I couldn't believe it, yeah. But I, I guess you got to be around a few years and deal with certain people to kind of 
get that sixth sense, I guess, to yeah. <laughs> see it coming or know what's going on around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, like, let's, let's let's fast forward to that day, right? That mm-hmm. day when they gave you that check. I mean, w- was it at the time when you kind of heard that the game was selling well, that people are really responding to it? What was the what was the setting like? Um, I think the coolest thing was that we found out a lot of people were collecting the toys, which was making the the sales go up. So, um, yeah, for me, it was just great because for me, when I you know finally got the bonus, I was like, yes, I can put more down on my house yeah. and put some in the bank and. I don't know if anybody owns a house, but every year you have to, you know, replace rotted wood, paint, you know. All right, maintenance. Fences, everything. So it was like, thank God I got something, you know. I, otherwise, I feel like I understand why most people are in the game industry and they probably live in apartments or something. Or it's, right. I mean, we don't get paid for where we are, I feel. Definitely. I so, mean, the Bay Area is definitely more expensive. Yeah, it's, Yeah. <laughs> Because I feel like a lot of people that even got bonuses weren't able to, you know, I think find a place. Right. Or maybe they didn't even want to. So I can't say I haven't talked to everyone. But um, I haven't noticed many new cars. So I can tell you that everybody's probably sitting on it because they know, you know, though. <laughs> I mean, not- what? I mean, you must love the area enough to stick around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was your reason? Was it because you had a house? uh yeah i mean for me i don't know if we want to get into this but yeah for me like i say i i'm blown away with pricing and i feel like the whole um medical industry not medical industry but tech industry aside from the game industry is kind of they make way more money than us oh (laughs) valley in general yes yes so i feel like we are kind of below or maybe barely uh medium income in an area so um yeah. Um, so for me, it's not really the area. I wish more game studios would definitely, God, uh, pick maybe cheaper cities or whatnot. Because even when I worked in San Francisco, right across from the Golden, uh, what is it, from the ballpark right there, mm-hmm. Giants Ballpark, you know, 90% of the people commuted, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to get there. But if you ask the studio heads, they're like, yep, everybody loves it. (laughs) And I'm like, no, they probably like coming to the city and going to restaurants and whatnot. But I don't know if they like commuting an hour. (laughs) So I don't know. I think everybody's a little different for me. I feel like studios need to be a little more aware of like the family people they have and whatnot and where to be located. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm very interested to seeing how game companies start spreading out more. I mean, we're very yeah. concentrated in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. in L.A., in Seattle, in Houston. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually a very grouped mm-hmm. parts. Because even with the ones that are trying to get outside of that, that, that shell, mm-hmm. right, it's really taking a chance <laughs> going with that company because you don't know how well they're doing, right? So you, you have to go to these kind of metro concentrated areas too well that brings me up to another point too is yeah like people with families and whatnot they don't want to move you know once once you're going regardless of if you know there's a better area which is why uh yeah that's that which is why everybody you know should be on point at a studio and they should be on their game because you have a lot of people relying on you know yeah 
I mean, I got to ask you, Brandon, really quick. You know, you're down so, in Redwood City, right? Down there? No. no I'm in uh, Orange County now. I'm oh, back. you went back. Okay. What's that? Yeah. But yeah, that was really pricey down there, right? At Redwood oh, City? Oh, dude. The I peninsula mean, is like, I would say, 30% more expensive than the Marin County. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. Were like, they paying you guys enough to live down there or close to sh- you? Yeah, no. <laughs> Like, we were, like, 20 minutes away from Facebook, you know, 30 minutes. Like, the closer you are to those companies, the crazier the prices, it seems. And it's spreading. That that circle is spreading all over the Bay Area and is one of the reasons why even the natives that grew up in San Francisco can't live there anymore, which yeah. is insane. But I bet if you ask your, uh, yeah, the execs at Redwood City, they're like, everybody loves this area. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best area ever. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a disconnect as far as pricing goes. So, Dude, how do these studios have QA? That's all I want to know. Yeah, like that's 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 punishment. They live at the studio. That's why. <laughs> like, I'm not even trying to make fun. You know what I mean? Because like, uh, I just I just don't understand. There is definitely a survivor minimum uh, salary that people have to be paid to to work at studios in the Bay Area and. Understandably so. Like, how how does you know QA stick around or anybody down there stick around? Dude, I'm I'm gonna get all my financial. Like, I'm seriously gonna hit up some of my old friends who are in QA. Like, yo, dude, how do you make it? Just break it <laughs> break it down for me. Like, I'm, this is not to be insulting. I'm just straight up because mm-hmm. I was struggling. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I had the GTFO as soon as possible. Well, there was a Google programmer that made like on the Yahoo News that was living out of his truck in the yeah. Google parking lot. Ah, I think I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, like an engineer who was like 24 years old, which is actually pretty smart. But he was saving money though, right? Doing he that? was saving loads of money because yeah. Google provides free internet. They have mm-hmm. a 24-7 buffet. And, <laughs> dude, I would live there <laughs> if I was single. Yeah, but what's going to happen is he's going to save his million dollars and he's going to be like, yes, a house. Yeah, well, that or go to Texas and make something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do wish the game industry would allow you to, uh, what is it called, telecommute a little more or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I am I am waiting more and more for that. I feel like once VR becomes a thing, <laughs> like even now, like I really, I mean, Larry can probably speak in opposition of this somewhat, but like I feel for what we do, like, and even with the original IPs or whatever, mm-hmm. like we should be able to work from home. Like I feel like most of the office problems is being in the office. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely tough because I know we all love being around people and we need that. Yeah. But there are times where, yeah, it's like I'm trustworthy enough, I'm passionate, I want to make a quality game, but I also can't stand commuting every day down here or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'll so, tell you what, coming from the business standpoint, not yet. Like if I'm working on yeah. a huge project where something getting out ahead of time or some sort of security breach could be the difference between mm-hmm. our $5 million marketing campaign getting executed the way that we want versus, oh shit, they leaked our commercial on some shitty ass website. Now we need to leak our commercial for real instead of during the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I can't see people working from home just yet. If I'm working on like a top top secret 
you know, clandestine only project. Now, if we're working on like, you know, something that we're going to put on Steam and we think it's going to do well, like if we're making, let's say, a game like, let's just say like a Payday, right? Like no one's really like, oh, I can't wait for the story secrets about Payday 3. You know what I mean? Like maybe, but if I'm like top end spending $250 million on this game or more, forget about it. You're in the studio and that's my, that's me. Yeah. Well, I understand the marketing. They have like a certain plan and they don't want people to fuck with it and they have certain timing and rhythm or whatever. But in the end, like what games have been leaked that hurt itself? Like Half-Life 2 was leaked. Like whole games have been leaked. Trailers are still being leaked. Mm-hmm. And to me, it has not hurt From To me, like for the group of nerds that actually want to see it and check it out, they are the big spenders anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, this is not a dig at like Hangar 13. But yeah, even them, they're like, oh, it's a secret. It's a secret. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow, you're doing Mafia 3. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, it's not that big of a marketing, you know. <laughs> I I feel really the age of gaming with this generation who shares everything, like gaming, uh, showing the, themselves online all the time, twitching, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. This age is more about showing and keeping them in part of the loop. Like Kickstarter, yeah. or anything, has proven that people want to be a part of the game-making process. Yeah. And I feel like the secretive, the holding things behind closed doors, like I feel that that generation is old. I mean, that's us. Yeah. Like before, like after us, it's more like, you know, this is my update. We just updated a character. Check this out. You know, people, to me, that would drive more, more, more traffic and less risk. Like you'll know three updates in if your, your game is shit because no one's liking <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have three-year games then you release it and then it fails because no one really wanted it, right? If you think well, about it that way. Well, speaking to kind of toward that point, and this is also on a little riff, is like I wish too that uh, artists in this industry were a little more known maybe. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people might know designers or writers or something, creators, but nobody really knows. It's kind of like the comic industry. You know, you right. might buy a comic based on an artist, and I wish that at one point the game industry was a little bit like that, where they're like, oh, man, you know, Colin or Brandon's working on this game. I got to, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that might help sales, too. I mean, with Darksiders, everybody kind of bought the art books and wanted the game because Joe Madriera, a popular comic artist, was working on it. The best comic artist. <laughs> yeah, I freaking love him. Yeah, Joe Matt is the shit, dude. Yeah, and I mean, I was jealous as hell, you know, <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> I wish that more people had that because even at our last few that Brandon and I worked on, I loved how anytime they had to do an interview, even if it was about art or anything, you always saw the junior producers or producers running to do it. And it's like, I think they want to hear from the actual people making this every once in a while, you know, like I, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I feel like I I can tell you the best, best artist in the industry right now. And he's, and he's a programmer designer which is Notch, <laughs> from Minecraft. Oh, Well, I mean, like, he's the guy behind Minecraft, and to me, like, he's single-handedly made, like, an art form that was kind of shitty to us, <laughs> but then it became an art style. Mm-hmm. But I, I do agree with you, like, having an artist sell a game, I mean, not too much of that. Like, Well, not sell a game, but... You know, being the reason why you buy a game, right? Like, that kind of power. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if that's going to change. Because <laughs> I would definitely, there's definitely times, trust me, I'm sure like most artists were like, oh, I would love to be able to design everything and just make my own game. Right. It's just, I think people need to realize it takes too much time to make art sometimes. <laughs> right. I mean, it is like a dedicated job for each yeah. discipline. So, uh, I mean, it, it's def- <laughs> I mean, love to make my game. Sorry, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, you go ahead. I mean... Oh, with your recurrent stance uh, over at Toaster Bob and everything, and I mean, were there certain things that you did with your bonus that you've always wanted to do, or have you always been like saving type just in case? And you just like, yeah, I've always been the saving type, but I feel like yeah, lately I'm definitely saving because like I've I've always you know even since I left college I wanted to make a you know, very, God, what is it called? Educated um, attempt or whatever at, you know, breaking into the comic book industry. Because there I feel like I can at least stand behind my product. You know, people will say, this is Collins, you know, did the artwork. There won't be like 20 other people taking the credit or assigned the, you know, the art titles. It's, you know, I get credit for what I did. Right, right. And so, unfortunately, I want to go back to that because the game industry, I feel like you get no credit. It's, you know, you can bust your ass as much as you want and you still get paid as much as another guy. And right. uh, nobody helps prop you up or propel you into better roles or. Yeah. It sounds like you need to find a programmer, man. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, totally, man. I got, I would love to find people. But, uh, you know, right now, I guess that's the thing is I definitely need time off at some point. Right. To, do a video game or do my own comic which i still love to draw you know i prefer drawing sometimes more than sitting behind a computer right but um yeah it's definitely tough man i I think in this area where you need a lot of money it makes it tough to try to just you know take six months to a year off or something (laughs) start doing something yeah yeah, it's a lot of rent money or mortgage money or whatever that's going That's how through. they get you, dude. That's how they get you, dude. <laughs> Stay behind the desk. Just pay you enough. Well, but, speaking, um, of, uh, speaking of payments and mortgages, uh, we need to pay some bills here at the Game Dev Unchained Podcast. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. All right, guys, so it's like this. Alden Fillion, the art director from Into the Stars, is going to be hosting our next Game School online GSO Live event. He's going to be taking questions and answering anything he possibly can to help students or professionals alike get information on getting into the game industry. And most importantly, he's going to be talking about the process of being the art director on a successful indie title such as Into the Stars. We're going to get a look at some of his workflows, get some tips and tricks, and lots of advice. It goes down this Sunday, the 27th of March, on GameSchoolOnline.com. It will be live, it will be aired, it will be shared. Hope to see you there. And we are back in just that much more rich because we, no, just kidding. <laughs> in the episode about the big bonus, the bonus lifestyle, let's get right back into it for these last 15 minutes of the Game Dev Unchained podcast. I'm Larry Charles. We got Brandon Pham and Mr. Colin Fogle. Let's go. Colin, I got to ask you, man, what's the first thing that you do when you see a life-changing bonus hit your bank account? What's the, fir- what's the very first thing you did? How did you react? Um, the very first thing I did was, God, to see how much I could save, but I also, uh, 
I mean, I guess for me too, I also broke my sisters off a little bit of that cash. I mean, oh. I, I definitely feel like anybody that makes a big chunk, you know, even a couple grand or anything for their loved ones or something is worth it. Dude, I didn't know you were uh, into black women, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't be stingy out there, you know. Even if you, I don't know, for me. So for me, I, I gave my, uh, my two sisters a little bit. Mm-hmm. My mom was totally against that. Um, put a bunch in the bank account because, yeah, this industry is so, God, hit and miss. You know, yeah. That's why I say to people, like, try your hardest to at least make a quality product. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you get laid off or you don't make money, at least you made something that everybody will know or recognize or be like, oh, my God, you came from that team. That was awesome, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, save that money. Cause yeah, God, ooh, you might have to move. You might be out of work for a few months, a little while before you find another place. And, uh, maybe one day you might want to take time off to actually make your own little mini game, which is, would be a great portfolio or demo. Yep. And who knows? It might even allow you to make your own game. Yeah. Someone might pay you. And you I mean, what, that. this is what I'm hearing. Like you're, you're obviously a veteran. Mm-hmm. And uh, an untrained uh, game artist would see the type of money that you saw and be spending it on whatever. <laughs> wake calls <laughs> like in things. every room. Wake up. <laughs> so how did you develop such a strong sense of saving? Like, what, were you caught with your pants down before? Like, you got laid off? Like, what was it? Um, was, think... Were you always like that? Uh, yeah, for me, infor- or not unfortunately, but uh, yeah, for me, I have a very, I don't want to, uh, how do I want to put it, caring, strict mother where she definitely <laughs> constantly, you know, ever since, yeah, I left, she's like, save money, save money, don't go on vacation, what do you mean you're going here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like don't live, save money, and yeah. I try to do a little of both, but uh that's where that stuck with me because I know some people, they just, you know, it doesn't matter how much they have or whatnot, they'll blow it. But um, for me, it was mainly thanks to my mom and because I did want quality time one day to maybe work on my own stuff yeah. because it seems like at every studio I go to, they might hire you because you're talented, but there is a 90% chance they won't use any of your ideas, your creativity, they just kind of like that you're there and you can make models and stuff look good off of their concepts or whatever based yeah. off their ideas. Right. So it's um, – that's where it can be important if you're young. I'm sure, Brandon, you guys have maybe touched on this, but when you're young and looking for a job, that's where you want to attempt to find that studio that fits your style. Right. Whereas for me, you know, like I said, I went to a sports game studio, which really wasn't my style, but right. it was a good way in. But yeah, I mean, it was it was great because you stayed at the company for seven years mm-hmm. for the stability part. But it was so early in your career where you were trying to like try different things uh, that you kind of got itch to do something else, and you did, and which kind of went into the style that you wanted, which led to your big payoff and. In the end, though, like if it's not a game that you single-handedly made with a smaller group of developers, it's never going to be 100% yours. You're always going to be a, a 10% contribution to, to the project. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, your desire to always make something that you want to put out there, I feel, 
I don't know. I mean, Larry, how do you feel? Do you feel like most developers feel that way where they want to go out there and do it themselves? Or do you feel mo- there's a good percentage that just want to get by and go home and do something else? Well, I think it all... not game-related. Yeah, yeah. I think it all boils down to appreciation and value. So, for example, if people feel like what they're doing at work is being appreciated, especially in a creative medium then maybe they may not be as likely to go out and apply their creativity on their own stuff because they feel like they're getting the chance to exercise and see their ideas come to fruition. So if they have that like that itch to do those type of things, it's getting satisfied through their work already. But I'm not going to just say that that's a general statement that applies to all people because some people are just entrepreneurial and ambitious. And regardless of them being appreciated at work or not, like such in my case, I still want to like, further my craft at home or develop my own ideas and strategies because I may be working on a sports game when I have some great ideas for like some RPG mechanics, you know? Yeah. Totally agree with that. Yes. (laughs) Because I do feel when you go in the industry, there's two types of developers. There's the one that's like, Oh man, you know, I love uncharted. I've, I've always wanted to work on uncharted Mm -hmm. and eventually you're going to hit that goal. If you keep driving at it, you're eventually going to work on that franchise, but then what's next? And it's always going to lead back to that developer in you that wanted to make his own game one day, right? Well, and a message message too to game developers is that they really need to definitely notice the individuals that do have the passion and do want to create more and actually give them an avenue at work to do that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like most of the times they just kind of go with whoever talks a lot in a room, even though they might not have the talent or anything or any ideas, you know. <laughs> and it's that's where, yeah, these people are like, okay, I really don't care if I work here, work there, who gives a crap, you know. I'd right. leave, leave any day, you know, and get a job anywhere else. So it's definitely recognize, try to... Yeah, help those out that really show initiative and show the passion, yeah. Yeah. The others that don't, you know, don't give them too much credit or pay them too much peace of mind, you know. (laughs) I mean, there's definitely developers or game companies that have nurtured that talent and turned it into the Vive, like that, that, or like, you know, little test projects internally that became like mega hits. I mean, I feel like the... The best studios are are those with the most unique, innovative ideas. That's very rare, though, I will say. Yeah. I've been at a lot of studios, and even if I get put on the – which I was put on a a demo. What is it? A game demo? Right. Um, Like a vertical slice. Yeah. Yeah, and I was supposed – you know, my art director knew. This is when I was on the game – you know, the sports studio, and he knew because I always brought in my – uh, comic book art and everything and showed it to the artist at work so he knew i was creative always working on stuff and he put me on this demo team and then i was just totally shunned in the meetings it was like everybody and their grandma was allowed to talk over me or come up with ideas and it's like wow um <laughs> you know i'm supposed to be the artist here that's drawing creative and nobody wants to hear anything i have so it was kind of like at times like that that's when you need a a good production staff or art director or someone to kind of say, hey, no, we need to listen to this individual or take a few ideas from this person. Right. I mean, what's that term like, like a, uh, creating by committee? Is that is that right? 
Uh, for me, it seems like it's creating by whoever can yell the loudest and ignore, <laughs> ignore the other people in the room. You know, I mean, I always tried working with everybody. I was like, okay, you don't like my idea. I'll work with you. But in the end, if it's just constantly, you know, all them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it's kind of like, okay, well I will just sit in the corner and wait till you guys tell me what to do. And I'll go home and do my own stuff again. You know. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that, that part right there is. Mm-hmm. is a big problem uh mm-hmm. within our industry like we're 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 growing at such an exponential size where it's like the voice is getting lost in in meetings like those like you can't really mm-hmm. be creative and hear that person in the back who has who may have like a revolutionary idea but like there's 500 people yelling it at the same time or like there's a special group that you always rely on that that mm-hmm. Colin's not in. <laughs> yeah, it's oof, it's a learning experience. That's why I think, like I said, I always when I got my bonus and everything, it's like you know I'm saving up because I obviously have to do it on my own. You know, <laughs> one day I will have to do that. So, so if you can go back and talk to 20 year old Colin, mm-hmm. who's trying to get in the industry, who, who's loving the limelight of these big franchises making awesome games. Like, what would you say? What warning would you give them? Um, I would say in college, definitely try harder. I mean, for me, I definitely didn't know what to expect in the real world. So I didn't take it quite seriously yet. And, uh, so definitely also be ready to make multiple portfolios, you know, don't, and don't rush any piece. Mm-hmm. And, um, from there, if you do all of that and you have quality work that, uh, also, uh, work on stuff that you really just want to create and do. I mean, I have a lot of people that they're like, Oh my God, I don't know what to put in my portfolio. What should I make? And it's like, you should know what you want to make. You know, if you want to do cars or vehicles, do that. If you want to do people, do that. If you want to do environments, do that. Don't try to please everybody and, you know, stick with what you're good at, what you can make look awesome. Something that you definitely want to spend quality time and will put quality time on. And um, from there, the, the, that's probably the best route for studios that match your style. They'll find you, you know, when you send them your work, they're like, you know, they can tell if, you know, you do realistic stuff or more fantasy and it might be easier to get, a, you know, a nice fit out of college right but um that's what i would have told myself (laughs) uh, oh keep going oh sorry um no you want to finish your thought before i come in with the next question uh oh and uh practice interviewing for god's sakes practice interviewing i don't know how or where but (laughs) well how did you get better like eventually you got better right hey thanks brandon (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know if I did get that. I think just over the years I got older and then when I was forced, you know, seven years later to interview, it, I had to do a few before I got in the groove, you know. Okay. And then I realized, hey, I know how to answer all these questions because I've been in the industry. But early on, I don't know how you would do that. Um, right out of college, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Larry, do you have any tips? If, uh, if... <laughs> What are you laughing? Because I'm waiting to ask my question. Go for it, man. <laughs> well, this is a lead-in. We can still ask it. No, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll indulge. Tips on interviewing. Yeah, get with somebody who's professional in your industry that's doing your job. Like if you have some sort of mentor or former lead or colleague. Take someone online. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious, though. Like 
I would talk to designers who were ahead of me and like ask them specific questions or I would talk to them about doing mock interviews because they know design, right? And I'm a designer. So they know what kind of questions that I'm most likely going to be asked because they interview people all the time. It's the questions that they ask, you know? So that was my tip. That was my strategy. I found more senior designers and I talked to them about mock interviews and maybe it'd be 10 minutes, maybe it'd be 30 minutes. You never know, but that was a good way to help me practice, uh, so that's, that's perfect. Yeah. I, I was shocked when I yeah had a few people write me and ask questions. I was like, I would have never thought of this, yeah. <laughs> you know, or how did you even find me? But thanks to LinkedIn, I guess, yeah, college students can reach out. And... Yep. I mean, it's one of those things that I wish more colleges would have classes on. Yes. Like, you never see that on the curriculum. Like it should be a class dedicated to interviews, to talking to people. Yeah. That'd be funny. Bring us a list of 100 people you plan on bugging. <laughs> Professionals. So my next question for you is, now everyone here has gone through like the mega bonus, let's just say. Um, is there anything about the process that you currently think it should just be changed? And if so, how would you change it? Um, process on bonuses? Yes. So like, you know, we talked about feeling a little slighted that, you know, you contributed more than you felt like you had gotten your, your cut of the pie for, right? Mm -hmm. or, or you knew that the studio was like, wow, we can't afford to, or not that we can't afford. We're just not going to pay X millions of dollars to these developers who allowed us to even make X millions of dollars or billions of dollars. Rightfully so. We're going to screw them out of this. Is there... How like how would you propose a way that you know maybe the bonus structure could change so that it benefits everybody, or what would you do to just change it so that it benefits you more? <laughs> um, well, for me, one thing I wish they would have done is because I know that they had a cap, mm -hmm. and then I know that they were nice enough. You know, I mean that's cool. You know, some com companies were nice enough where they were like, okay, we're gonna pay them out their max, and then we'll put the leftover for next year. Mm -hmm. And so that would have been nice if they were like, wow, we made billions. We're going to put it in this big, you know, random fund. And then every year we're going to just give bonuses because, I mean, I can tell you guys right now that I don't expect anything in the future. I think, you know, the competition, everything and, you know, um, once teams get too bloated and whatnot, it the overall cost just becomes too much and, you know, that bonuses aren't going to be coming so, uh, yeah, I wish they would have probably, like I said, just kept more and sprinkled it out throughout the few years because I'm sure they could have easily have done that. But, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I know that they made this company to make tons of money and they're probably enjoying it. So. Yeah. I don't know why you guys complaining. I'm good. Nothing I can do about it. But, I mean, how much did you guys get? Brandon, you got, you got a bonus from? We, we, we both got bonuses, uh -huh. but <laughs> – we were what the ninth Call of Duty, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously, from Call of Duty Modern Warfare, that whole lawsuit, we won't comment too much on it. But things things have changed, and mm -hmm. I really wanted to highlight the point that I really do feel, Toys for Bob, with your Skylanders, that you were probably the last group mm -hmm. that actually got a decent big bonus. Yeah. Uh, because I, I can't think of any multi-billion franchise after that. That that would pay out their employees except for you know if we're counting out mobile games right well i think that AAA. speaks toward the people that own the studio or even our studio because like i said when i got money 
it wasn't a lot, but I was still like, oh my God, I'm going to send my sisters like, you know, 10 cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like some studio heads, they're like that and they're not, you know, they're like, I don't care to give, you know, people yeah. extra money. And some are like, hey, why not? We made enough. Even if I sprinkle a little, I'll still have a ton left over. So I feel like they were definitely gracious, but, you know, like uh, like anything else, they could be a lot more gracious knowing that the it's state billions, takes 45%. Yeah. No, the state takes 45%. Yeah, that too. I think at the very least, just uh, pay the taxes for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that was a shock, boy. Um, All I'm looking for is just the studio to be fair. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, honestly, like, put right. it, if regardless of how many copies we think the game is going to sell – I want to know the math on day one before yeah. I start putting in any time or effort, you know, like how it's going to break down, you know, how everything is going to work. And the last thing I want to hear is cap. Yeah. Fuck a cap. There's no cap for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one's stopping you from buying Ferraris and shit. Like why yeah. you got to be that way to us? I so. mean, yeah, I think to be fair, like, yeah, if there is a formula, share the formula. Yeah. I think if anything that would help squash any, any bias, like any sourness afterwards is because it's like, all right, this, this before the, we ship, this is what the math that we're using. It's like, Oh, okay. This is all how right. It works. This is how it works. Okay, yeah. good. Instead of like waiting months after and you're expecting something <laughs> huge yeah. and then it's nowhere near your expectation. Oh, I think then, that's, that's the part that hurts. And then the, the stories you're expected to swallow <laughs> as they're explaining why you got screwed or what you're dealing with. I will say this. The only reason that I don't like a cap is because I just don't think it's fair. I think if we're helping you do something, the compensation should be like equal to what we're putting in, you know? And so a cap is basically saying, regardless of how hard you're going to work on this, because you have to work to get it done. You're only going to get up to X amount, right? Like we're not allowed to put in up to X amount of hours of work. You know what I mean? The work is until the project is done. So therefore split the pie in the same fashion. Now I understand as a business owner myself, the last thing I want to do is incentivize people to leave the company, even if I'm doing a good thing, right? Like if I think the team is great and I want to continue to make Call of Duty games or Skylander games or any of the other games that this collective of the three of us have made that have paid a bonus to us, I would say I'm not going to give you a cap, but like you said, Colin, I'm going to institute a like, this game has paid X amount of royalties. Let's say you're supposed to get $5 million. I'm not just going to give you $5 million in one check, right? But what I will do is I'll say, okay, I'm going to split this up where we give up to $50,000 a month for Mm -hmm. however, just forever. Like lottery payments. Exactly. And you now have a bank account that has $5 million in it, and every month I'm going to give you $50,000 of that. Yeah. Right? I, I think, if anything, people just don't want to be treated like children. Yeah. Right? I mean, just treat us like an adult. And if your main reason to keep me staying at a company is to keep my money from me, yeah. like I feel like that's a bad. You're creating a bad friendship right there, man. But, well, like, but the thing is, it let's. I, I'm sorry. I just want to jump back in. You kind of have to look at it from that standpoint, though, in my opinion, because I'm making sure that you're getting what you deserve, but you have to protect the business. I think it would be very foolish to just dump millions of dollars into people's pockets who are doing manual labor and then expect that everyone's going to want to show up and do the next game. Well, that's, that's the, where it also speaks to you got to cater to the quality, passionate people because yeah. I think every studio everybody's at, there's a group that really couldn't care. Yeah. 
And those, yeah, you shouldn't really worry about keeping them happy, you know, paying money, whatever. Mm. <laughs> but, um, God, what was I going to say to, uh, oh, that was another point too, is I hear all the time from like execs, you know, like even Activision anywhere where they say, you know, we really want to keep our people. We really want to keep our quality people, this and that. But yeah, if, if you make a game with a lot of bonuses, this and that, you're not really giving them an incentive. You know, that's where it becomes the Wild West where we're like, I don't care where I go if I'm just yeah. going to make the same anywhere. Yeah. And the product could fail. So, yeah. I mean, in the, I feel in the end, like, it would serve the company better to nurture talent, to keep talent happy. Yeah. Like if people want to make that money to leave, those people will leave anyways. That's yeah. the thing. Like they will go independently, but in on good terms. Like I love you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to working with you guys. I will recommend everything to you. Mm-hmm. Versus like you kept my money from you. I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm doing this stupid game because you're <laughs> telling me to, and it's the fifth one. You know, like I feel like that's more poisonous to a company. Like because obviously people might leave. At least the really good ones, right? That yeah, you don't want, you the really don't want good, the good ones will leave anyways. Yeah. yeah, the really good ones have no problem finding a better job. That's mm-hmm. just fact. Yes. And then the ones that are pretty good but they're stuck are going to poison the well. I mm-hmm. mean, that's why would you want to do that? Like, you're just hurting your talent. And then what happens? Like, you're going to have a hard time hiring talent because you're, you're, you have a bad reputation of just openly denying people their money. <laughs> Like I feel, yeah, I understand your point, Larry. Like, mm-hmm. like there is, you got to create an incentive to keep people to stay. But I don't think keeping money from them is the best way to do it. But like filtering money may be a, a way to do it, like well, just lottery way. But like even then, like the reason behind it primarily is to like I don't want you to leave. I want you here forever to keep making me hits and making me rich. Sure, mm-hmm. I I I don't necessarily think that my strategy is keeping money from them. It's more like this is how you'll get paid. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. like. You you did this thing and it made all this money. I, I just I'm saying okay, here's how we're gonna break down how payments work. You tell them this ahead of time. Like right. your bonuses will be split up into monthly payments until it runs out, and the most we pay is X amount. I'm pretty sure if I put that in a contract ahead of time, somebody would be like, okay, cool, like I'm yeah. down. You know, you will keep yeah the happy guys and yeah. Oh, yeah. I like yeah just laying it down beforehand. Yeah, that's that's the key. That's the key thing. Let me know ahead of time how exactly you plan on distributing funds and how the math works out that the funds will be decided upon distri- distribution. Versus my Ferrari's too loud. I can't exactly hear what you're complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> what money problems? <laughs> oh, well. So, hey, um, we are over an hour into the podcast, and Mr. Colin Fogel, as our wonderful thank you gift to anyone who comes to the show and gives knowledge and their time and their energy, we always shut up and just say the audience is yours. If there's anything that you would like to promote, advertise, or call some attention to, or just one last awesome thing before you go, the, the floor is yours. Ooh, yeah, I don't really know. Um... I mean, I would like to give a shout out to Workaholics. That's mm-hmm. now one of my new favorite shows to watch. Uh, right. Six is awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know if I hope if I ever have a product or get my store online, it's going to be at ColinFogel.net. Okay. But I finally have a store on there. I just have not gone and updated it, so I don't know if people should go quite yet. <laughs> um, 
God, get out there, buy all the new Skylander games. Uh, I want to give a shout out to. I guess I'll give a shout out to Visual Concepts for taking a chance and hiring me after nine months. All right, there you go. <laughs> Um, I definitely still love a lot of people there, and I still know a lot of people there. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm not really sure what to say right now. Um, Do you have any comics that that you worked on that you people can? Um, uh, you know, not not no. I mean, with the way the game industry goes in my time afterward, I haven't worked on anything quality. I have worked on comics, but nothing I want anybody to see. <laughs> okay, we'll X this part up. <laughs> But uh, I guess keep an eye out for me because I do plan on doing Comic-Cons here and there. I just don't know where or who let me in, but I'm hoping the Bay Area or, God, at least Washington, Oregon, maybe they'll have some cons where I can get in. But um, there I will have my Dark Holidays comic, hopefully, still with me. And my new Hazel project that I'm working on, Futuristic. There you go, yeah. Futuristic, yeah, I rarely do, uh, you know, women, so I was like, I'm going to do a sexy, futuristic you know, woman agent. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. But, um, God, yeah, it's so cool. You guys do a podcast. I'm glad I could be on it. Um, God, I hope a lot of people listen to this and get a little educated. (laughs) So, uh, we'll listen to the 20 year old Colin. Don't expect too much money, you know, or at least, uh, try to move to a cheaper town. I hear. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. Well, um, Colin, thank you very much for being a part of Game Dev Unchained the podcast. I've got the mic. I'm Larry Charles. Good night. Hey, thank you for everyone joining us. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you so much. This is Colin Fogel. Thank you guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash Game Dev Unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash Game Dev Unchained.